Hi guys, welcome back to My Opinion. It is episode three of the relaunch, or season four, as some of you like to call it. I'm excited to be here today with Senator Kay Kirkpatrick. I actually know her through my husband, who goes to Atlanta Young Republicans. I used to go years ago um, when I ran a men's uh, clothing store many, many moons ago, and it was a great place to network and meet young professionals that would come shop and God knows what else, right? Networking. So that was really exciting. Um, Kay, thank you so much for being here with me today. Happy to be with you. Yeah. So you've accomplished so much in your life, and I'm really excited to talk about it and share with our listeners. Kind of bring me back to when you started your journey. You are a doctor, a surgeon, and now a senator. How did this all begin? Well, I grew up in northern Kentucky in a blue-collar family, and my family, my parents never went to college, no doctors in the family, but they put a priority on education and, of course, very hard work. Mm -hmm. And so they, uh, my dad told me early on when I was little that in America, if you work hard, it's a land of opportunity and you can set your goals and reach them, even if you're a girl, is right. how he put it. Right. Oh, that's wonderful. So he supported you even at that age. That's great. Absolutely. And I, it was a very traditional family. My mom never worked. And uh, they successfully were able to get three kids through college and into wow. uh, successful careers. Wow. So why a doctor? Why a surgeon? How did that evolve? Well, I wanted to... I. I liked people and I liked science. And mm -hmm. then I had, uh, as a teenager, a dermatologist, as many teenagers do. Mm -hmm. And he went to my church. And I said, hey, I'm thinking about being a nurse or a veterinarian. And he said, well, that sounds good, but why don't you just go to medical school? And I kind of took the ball and ran with it and continue to feel that it's a great combination of the things that I really like. Mm -hmm. In retrospect, maybe I should have been a veterinarian. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I saw that you loved animals, and I, I want to talk about that yeah. too. But yeah. wow, so what a journey. And you went to the University of Kentucky. That's where you did your undergrad, right? I did. Mm -hmm. And then I went to medical school at the University of Louisville okay. and decided um, at the very end of the time that you had to choose what your specialty was going to be to do orthopedic surgery and uh, it turns out that in medical school, there are really two paths. There are people who are procedure, surgery-oriented, and people who are more thinking, cognitive-oriented. Sure. And I was always very hands-on and very interested in surgery mm -hmm. and looked at several different aspects. But the people in orthopedic surgery really seemed to be having a lot of fun. And they were taking care of people from 0 to 100, men, women, and wow. uh it was a great opportunity to be a surgeon, but also to take care of people from all walks of life. So I thought that would be a lot of fun. Then during my training, I fell in love with hand surgery because there was a great hand surgery training program in Louisville. Right. And thought and continue to think that that is among the most fascinating parts of the body. At the time, there really were no other women in orthopedic surgery that I knew, and I was the first one in my program in Louisville. Wow. So the mentors were not really a thing back then. Right. And even now, only 5% of practicing orthopedic surgeons are women. Wow. That's incredible. It is incredible. So who did you look to for mentorship during that time? If it, It's a very male-dominated group. It is, but I had... 
some people that really gave me the opportunity to become an orthopedic surgeon and uh, my first chairman of orthopedics, Dr. Jim Harkus. He's small, he's Scottish, oh, he, he died now, but um, he said, I was worried about not being strong enough or whatever, and he says in a Scottish accent, well, my dear, if you have to pull that hard, you're doing something wrong. And so he really was a great mentor for me and uh, had confidence that I would be able to perform. And the attitude that I had, and this may not be what young women want to hear, is that I always worked a little harder, showed up a little earlier, mm -hmm. was a little more prepared than my colleagues. Right. And I made a point of it, and I still make a point of it to mm -hmm. this day. And that has led me to great opportunities to be a leader and to uh, really make a difference in my field. Right. No, I think that's important, and I think that's important if you want to excel at anything. You can't always control your talent, right? You can get better through time, but you can show up on time, you can be prepared, you can put in that extra effort, and I do think that propels you forward. Um, I think that's great advice, regardless. Well, and that's, I mean, that's true for men or women, but mm -hmm. whether... Whether it's fair or not, you can argue about, but the world is not a fair place necessarily. Absolutely. And so I feel that uh, for women to be viewed as equal, we've got to be a little bit better. Right. And that's just the way the world is. Right. A little quicker, a little earlier, on our toes, right? Exactly. I think so too. Yeah. I think so too. I come from some male-dominated areas as well, um, not quite like yours where it's 5%. That's really impressive. Um, so I do understand what you're saying completely. So how many years did you actually practice? Um, well, let's see. The medical school followed by orthopedics followed by hand surgery was uh, 10 years after college. Mm -hmm. And I started practicing in Atlanta as soon as I got out of training in 1986 mm -hmm. and practiced for 30 years after I finished my training. And then I decided that after 30 years, I was going to quit because I wanted to do some other things that I was interested mm -hmm. in. And I wanted to quit when I was at the top of my game and not wait for somebody to tap me on the shoulder. Yes, yes. And I had had um, a very successful, great career as a hand surgeon that I loved a lot and also had the opportunity to be very involved in leadership in many different ways. Uh, primarily being president of my orthopedic group, which is a very large group with 100 orthopedic surgeons wow. and uh, about a 1,000 employees in the metro Atlanta area, mm -hmm. and also in my specialty organizations, being a leader in that, being the, uh, I thought I was the first president of the Georgia Orthopedic Society to be a woman, but it turns out there was one in 1954. Okay, well. <laughs> And uh, then I've been able to participate in my national specialty organizations as well, the American Society for Surgery of the Hand, wow. as a uh, sort of a board member, mm -hmm. and then the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. So I've been very fortunate, but I think doors open. I raise my hand, say yes, step through the door, and that's actually how I ended up in the Senate. Yeah, which is where I want to transition to for sure. So you're on all these boards. I mean, that's just so impressive. How did you find time to do all of that? <laughs> I really didn't have time to okay. do all that. And I typically do not take on leadership roles that where I can't 
fully participate. In other words, I've learned to say yes to the things I really care about and say no to the things that are that I'm sort of interested in but not not all in. Yeah, I, you know, you were saying I said yes and the door opened, but I think sometimes people don't have that balance, especially women. We don't know how to say no and really preserve our time for the things that matter to us so that when we are involved in something, we give it our 150%. I think that's correct. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's a matter of filtering all the many opportunities that right. come your way. And to be honest, I really had not planned to have a whole second career in politics. Right. Because although I had done advocacy on behalf of physicians and my group and patients, I didn't have any aspirations to run for office. So how did this evolve? So you have had your 30 years in this wonderful profession. You've been on so many boards. I mean, sky's the limit for you. And you say, okay, on to my next chapter. How did you become a senator? This is so awesome. Well, I wanted to spend more time doing things that I was interested in, hobbies and things that I put off, working on my golf game, going to my second home in Alabama more. And... uh, My husband just retired the end of December last year, so we like to travel and things like that. But just as I was retiring, I got a call from the guy who was the senator in our district telling me that he was going to run for Congress and that he was resigning from his Senate seat. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't suggesting that I run. He wanted me to write him a check. But Of course, a donation. (laughs) However... um, I started getting phone calls, and people knew that I was retiring in a couple of months, Mm -hmm. and so the timing was such that I was going to have time that I hadn't had previously, and there's a shortage of people that know a lot about health care in the Capitol and in Washington, and uh, I sort of thought that I should try to participate in a different way by uh, taking on that challenge. Unfortunately, I didn't really know what I was getting into or what I was doing, but again, I raised my hand, and um, it turned into a very large bite to swallow, Wow! but um, I did not know how to be a candidate. I didn't really know what the job involved. I did talk to a few people and was smart enough, uh, based on advice from some people, to get a good consultant who kind of walked me through the whole process of what I needed to do to get elected. I ran against seven other people, and in fact, three of us were doctors. Wow. And uh, five Republicans, three Democrats, ended up getting into a runoff against a uh, female lawyer and uh, winning the seat. And then I ran again last year, won the seat against the same person that I beat the year before. congratulations. And I understand she's running again next year, so we'll see. But um, definitely women have a little bit of a different skill set to bring, and people are interested in having more women representing them because we're half the population, and down here we're 25% of the seats. Right. So what was, just to go back a little bit, what was surprising about, what did you think when you were going in to be a candidate and potentially a senator? What, what were you thinking the job entailed and what were your surprises? Well, being a candidate is kind of an all-consuming thing. And I was still working when I was starting to run and trying to wrap my practice up after 30 years. Wow. And uh, it's a lot of putting yourself out there, and if you're in a field like mine, if you're in a service profession, you're not really used to self-promotion, and in fact, 
I've always thought that humility was a huge part of being a leader, along with integrity and hard work and all the other things. I agree. But you can't really, you have to self-promote in order to get elected. And so that was a big hurdle to get over because I never cared who got the credit for things. Right. In Interesting. My so how did you get over that hurdle? It's practice. Yeah. You know, it's just like asking people for money. Sure. It takes practice. The more you do it, the more you get used to it. I got some good advice from a friend of mine who is a judge who had had a tough race. I met with her early on and she told me some pointers about uh, being prepared for your opportunities to speak and developing your elevator speech mm -hmm. and practicing and timing yourself and getting in front of a mirror and dressing for what you want to be and mm -hmm. a lot of other really useful mm -hmm. advice that I think helped me a lot. Mm -hmm. One thing you may be interested in is that I did uh, change my name on my voter registration because when my husband and I married in 1986 right. and moved here, he said, are you going to change your name? And I said, well, I really don't want to change it because people aren't going to be able to find me and I've practiced under this, I mean, I've, I've had this name as a doctor for all this time. He says, well, if you don't change your name, I'm going to change mine. And I said... Really? And, I, and he's from Mississippi and I'm originally from Alabama. This is so progressive. And I'm like, no, I, I, that's not okay. Oh, with my God. Me. And so what I did was I... on. And when we married, I got my driver's license that says K. Kirkpatrick Halton, so I made Kirkpatrick my middle name. Sure. And so I practiced under Kirkpatrick all these years, but my married name is Halton. Mm -hmm. And so when you become a candidate, your name on the ballot has to match the name on your voter registration. Sure. And I was registered under K. Kirkpatrick Halton, so I went and changed it to K. Kirkpatrick because I wanted to run under my doctor name, mm -hmm. because I have this massive network of patients out there that know me that way. Of course you do, right. And one of my opponents filed a complaint with the election board, and I had to get a very expensive lawyer to represent me at a hearing in front of the election board. They took five minutes to throw out that complaint, wow. but it was $10,000 worth of legal fees. So that was That's crazy. What a that, wild experience. Yeah. And then, you know, in in the course of my role as a leader at Resurgence Orthopedics, I had advocated for many things. And part of our political program was we picked people who were friendly to our issues from both parties. Sure. And made donations. Some of those donations you have to write personal checks for. Mm -hmm. So one of my opponents, the same one actually, mm -hmm. grabbed onto that and said that I had given all this money to the other party and therefore I really wasn't a Republican and so on and so on. And he did mailers about it and all that stuff. Oh, so, my gosh. Yeah. So those were things that were eye-opening to me about campaigning. Right. I must say I really enjoyed meeting all the new groups of people that I never would have run into just in healthcare. Yeah. People in business, people in other, in law enforcement, people in other professions. And... I knew a lot of people in healthcare, but they were all focused on healthcare. Right. So I really liked getting out more in my community, doing different things with different groups of people. And I actually enjoyed knocking on doors. I did not did like you? being on the phone, but yeah. I people still walk up to me regularly and say, Hey, you knocked on my door. And oh, it, how cool. It blows I love it. my mind. Yeah. yeah. 
So that was really the fun part. The uh, the hard part is having to always be on, always be mm -hmm. uh, assume that someone is looking for you to mess up mm -hmm. and maybe even recording you mm -hmm. and always asking people for money, mm -hmm. which uh, is part of the process that we have. Right. So that was a little alarming, but right. you kind of get used to it. Right. And then when I got down here, the thing that was surprising and disappointing to me was I was bringing an approach, a problem-solving approach down here that I had always had in my practice and in business. And I told Governor Deal, yeah, I, I like to identify the problem, get the right people in the room, lay out the options, pick an option and go. That's the surgeon in you, right? Like yeah. identify it, fix yeah. it, correct it, move forward. Yeah. Right. And mm -hmm. he started laughing and he said, I'm afraid it doesn't work like that down here. Oh, wow. And he was absolutely right. So it's hard to think big down here. People mm -hmm. take little bites of the apple. It's not always about policy. Many times it's about relationships. Right. So I spend a lot of time reading bills because I care about what the words say, mm -hmm. the detail, surgeon sure. mentality sure. That's again. That's the detailed side from your past, for When sure. maybe I shouldn't have been in my office. I should have been out. Sure. Uh, you know, building a relationship with someone who could help me get my bill passed or sure. whatever. So that was one thing that was somewhat disappointing is that it doesn't always operate logically down here. Right. And then the other thing is I was not ever used to being yelled at. My patients, they like their surgeon or else they're going to go somewhere else, right? They have to trust you. Yeah. It's a, it's, I feel like that's a very deep bond. The surgeries that I've had, I really had to trust that person because your life can be in their hands, right? That's right. So that's very true. Yeah, and this is different here. Yeah, you come reasons. down here and people who don't know you are basically being very disrespectful, wow. maybe even yelling at you, Wow. maybe texting you from the gallery saying really awful things. Really? Yeah, and or posting something on Facebook. I had to deactivate my Twitter account because um, one of the bills that was on my committee was very contentious about the voting machines and I had people from really the far right and the far left who were very unhappy about the way that all went and right. I had my aide who used to play football at the University of Kentucky walking me every place I went because I was worried about people my getting goodness. right in my face and my district is really split mm -hmm. So I'm going to get yelled at. Mm -hmm. If I vote green, the red people yell at me. Mm -hmm. If I vote red, the green people yell mm -hmm. at me. So I'm not, I'm still getting used to that. Sure. But, you know, I just turned 65 and I figure at this point, if I can't be myself, then when am I ever going to be able to? So I, I'm just trying to get, I thought I had a really thick skin. Turns out you need a really armor down right. here. But I'm trying to get to a point where I'm comfortable just being authentic and doing what I think is right and just taking the flack and just letting it roll off my back. Mm -hmm. And I've been pretty good at being authentic down here, but not worrying about it, that's the challenge. Sure, because you can be yourself, but then I think sometimes you can take that home with you a little bit and exactly. overthink it or worry. You know, that's something I'm definitely trying to transition in my life is just be really comfortable with my beliefs and what I believe is right and what is wrong. And I think a huge lesson for all women out there is, and just people in general, not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to agree with you. Um, it doesn't mean that they should be disrespectful towards you, 
but it happens. It happens in life. So it sounds like this was such a big switch for you, like from what you're sharing and your experiences. You know, I like to talk about people that have kind of stood in your way or caused some you know, hesitations in moving forward with either your career in being a surgeon or your career as a senator. You've shared some with us already, but were there some moments where you were like, gosh, I don't know if I can do this, or people were doubting you that were important to you? It doesn't sound like it was ever dad. Dad was very supportive. But do you remember those moments or significant moments, and then when you actually accomplished it, you felt really good? Well, I probably um, have deliberately put some of that out of my mind but to be honest in my orthopedic surgery part of my career I think my attitude of working harder being more prepared etc etc worked really well and I think I was able to get respect from my peers and my supervisors and really didn't have a whole lot of problems I never asked for anything special certainly in the operating room in particular Sometimes there's some off-color jokes, or there's somebody, there may be an individual who thinks that I should be doing something different, but I was not hypersensitive about any of that. I just let it roll off Mm -hmm. and figured that they're coming from whatever place they're coming from, but it didn't need to affect me, and I just kept on charging forward Mm -hmm. and doing doing what I do. Mm -hmm. So orthopedic surgery, really, I think it's a great field for women. And I think that there's... Needs more women. Only 5%. And the women now, they have their own mentorship program. And they have a society of female orthopedic surgeons. Where was that back when you started, right? Well, there wasn't anything like that. But when I first moved to Atlanta, there was one other female orthopedic surgeon in Atlanta. Her name is uh, Edie Hunter Griffin. And she's still working at Peachtree Orthopedic Clinic. And she and I, she would meet me for breakfast about every three months. And we would talk about this and that. And that was very helpful to me. And I've always uh, been very grateful to her for making me feel part of the community of orthopedics here in Atlanta. But she would uh, work her day, go home, deal with her kids, and then come back to the office and finish her paperwork at night. Oh, my gosh. Superwoman here. Well, I think that's what happens a lot of times. And Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to have a family and you want to participate in your family mm-hmm. then there's some things you have to give up or some compromises that you have to make and right. asking for special dispensation or privileges doesn't work that well I don't yeah. think in mm-hmm. the in the real world out there yeah and particularly in medicine mm-hmm. and I I do I did have one guy in my practice who was very unhappy that I had two maternity leaves two years in a row. Right, because you have two children, yes. Yeah, Uh because they had to cover for me. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I took exactly six weeks off both times. I was right back to Mm -hmm. full-time and uh, had to have live-in help initially because my husband and I were both physicians. And so there are some things that you miss. By and large, I think I spent... A lot of time with my kids, they've turned out pretty darn well. And I think some of my neighbors, I love my neighborhood. We've lived in the same house for 33 years, but some of them don't work. But Mm -hmm. I think I ended up spending as much time with my kids as they sometimes would spend with theirs because they'd be off 
you know, not that there's anything wrong with playing tennis. I used to play a lot of tennis myself, but but now it sounds like golf. But <laughs> well, now it's yeah. golf. But but um, my point is, I made sure I got enough quality time with my kids. Right. And I think that means some pretty long days. Right. Sometimes. Right. We bring up a topic that I ask every woman that I have on the show. You know, some women say, you know, you just you can't have it all, or you can have it all, and they'll argue either side. It sounds like you are saying that you you can, but it does take some sacrifices because you have a family. You have a wonderful husband, two children. You've had a a 30-year career as a surgeon, and now you're a senator. You learned how to manage it, but what would your advice be to women that want to, quote-unquote, have it all, have the career, still want to get married, have children, have that balance? I don't think you can do it by yourself. Okay. And I think that... Having it all is a little bit of a myth, Mm -hmm. and it makes people just feel guilty because I think if you are working full-time, you are going to miss some sports activities. Right. If you are showing up for your family stuff, you are going to miss some meetings at work. And I do think that the balancing act is very difficult. Being very organized and very uh, managing your time very well is Mm -hmm. extremely important. There's a price tag for women as people mm-hmm. because you're giving, giving, giving. And in my industry, you're giving to your profession and then you're giving to your family. And so I think the biggest risk is that you never carve out any time for your own sanity. And as a result, a lot of people get burned out, and it affects marriages, it affects kids, it affects your job. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very difficult, and I think people need to let go of thinking that they're going to be able to do everything at 100%, because the math does not work. Yeah. That's what I've always thought as well. So what are some kind of personal tips from your life, because you were able to have this great career, still have a wonderful career, and you still are married. A lot of people, that it affects their marriage, right? You spent time with the kids. So what are some tips for women? Time management is huge. Well, one thing, and not everybody can do this, but certainly if you're a physician or in any other profession where you're making a good living, Mm -hmm. paying for people to do the things that you don't have to do yourself is definitely worth every cent. Sure. So in other words, the peace of mind that you get from not having to go home necessarily uh, clean a toilet Mm -hmm. at the end of your long day Mm -hmm. at work. You can read a book to your kid instead. So I think paying for services is a good thing. I think mentorship is important, and I take every opportunity to mentor young people, Mm -hmm. whether they be women, men, minorities, whatever, Mm -hmm. because you never know when something you do is going to have an impact on somebody younger. Mm -hmm. So I think finding people that you look up to and asking them to mentor you or give you advice is a great thing. But marriage, for example, everybody's relationships are different, Mm -hmm. but like I said, it's hard to do it by yourself, mm-hmm. and it's pretty important to work out all of those 
negotiate all of those uh, arrangements and how the team is going to work. Right. Because you are a team as a family, right? That's right. And your marriage is a, a team. So, yeah, I agree with that. That's the biggest advantage of marriage in my right. book is that you're not facing it all alone. I agree. And I really think it's tough for single parents and people whose marriages don't make it or who who aren't married at all mm-hmm. to make it all work mm-hmm. because if you have at least some backup the one thing that I caution women or anybody about is when both of you are working and you're paying someone to help you fill in all around the edges it's easy to get into this little contest of who had the worst day or who had the toughest schedule or oh yeah I see where you're going with this yeah definitely. and that is not a good game to play mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's tempting for especially marriages where there's two professionals absolutely to get into that little competition but really it's a golden rule thing it's treat somebody the way you want to be treated I try to live like that I try to treat my husband like that yeah uh, listening is more important than talking mm-hmm in relationships and, and in business. I agree completely. And also in leadership. Yes. So those are those are things that helped me, but some of it I learned the hard way by not doing it right. Sure. And I think women many times have this um, fear that they're not good enough for mm-hmm. whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we see the discrepancies between the percentage of the population that are women and the percentage of women in you know, even in the legislature, but also in business, mm-hmm. in leadership, in healthcare. Um, I think they're calling it the imposter syndrome, but not being really convinced that you're the right person to right. step forward and raise your hand right. and take on a leadership role. Right. And I think we got to get over that. Right. And you got to say yes if it's something you're passionate about and you want to carve that time out for that. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So I want to talk about something fun. You are involved with animals, it sounds like, and a pet therapy program. That's what I was reading. Are you still involved with that? Is that some a passion project for you? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, it's funny because my role about that has changed. I have a wonderful golden doodle, mm-hmm. and he and I went as a team to the Ronald McDonald House, and I was the team leader of that team, which was five dogs, a cat, and a rabbit. Oh, how fun. At the time. Yeah. And we would visit with the families who are there with their kids that are in the hospital or mm-hmm. in rehab or whatever. And my dog loved it. I loved it. The people loved it. It was all all good. The only problem is that my dog is very old now, and he really can't do it anymore. Sure. He, can't, he really can't stand up by himself anymore. So we're, oh. we're, we have an elderly pet now that we're mm-hmm. dealing with, and it's very, very limiting. But uh, now... And I will have another therapy animal at some point. Yeah. But my other dog is not really therapy material. She's sort of an anti-therapy dog for anybody except me and my husband. And what kind of dog is this? She's a Legoto Romagnolo and a Whoa. Italian <laughs> truffle dog. And she's a okay. working dog, but she doesn't really have a job, right? Yeah. So her job is to um, chase a tennis ball for sure. hours at a time. So sure. anyway, she can't be a therapy dog, but because they have to pass the test, mm-hmm. they have to have the right personality. 
But what I've done now is I'm an advocate for animals down here. Mm -hmm. And some people like that, some people don't. So you've incorporated that here as a senator. That's amazing. I have. Mm -hmm. So I had a bill last year, didn't pass due to, I won't get into long story about. It's another conversation we'll have. (laughs) uh, About, it was about giving people immunity if they rescued a dog from a hot car. And it flew through the Senate. My district loved it, my suburban district. Yeah. But some of the rural people didn't love it because they were worried about the impact on their hunting dog or whatever and just blew it up once it got over to the house. But I'm carrying some animal legislation this session, and I've gotten to know the animal folks pretty well. So I'm working with the Department of Agriculture and other folks to try to look out for animals and the good news is Governor Kemp's wife Marty is a huge animal advocate she's been doing adoption events at the governor's mansion oh how fabulous she's now on the third one so I I work a lot on health care issues insurance issues because that was my life for so many years so you're passionate about that yes but I'm also very interested in public safety and animals yes and seniors yes and uh, a lot of things but my husband and I both participate in this volunteer program that is through the medical association that is the medical reserve corps and we respond to disasters in like hurricanes and stuff like that. You have to get some training to do that, but okay. we, you can't have people just show up at a disaster mm-hmm. scene. And so we do that and we do training with them. We teach stop the bleed and stuff like that. Sure. Do you travel? And go to these rescue sites, like after a hurricane? Yeah, but mostly just in Georgia, because that's where I'm licensed, but where we're both licensed. But we have been able to participate. uh, Dobbins Air Reserve Base is right outside of my district, and they frequently offload hurricane victims there. Oh, wow. And so that's very convenient, but we've been down to... um, savannah for training right there are shelters sometimes that open throughout the state that yes. we'll provide backup for and uh, it's really rewarding so i'm keeping my medical license for that purpose good for you but it's not a big time commitment it's right. you know six times a year or something right but it's working with people which you love and is rewarding exactly yeah yeah and it gives me a chance to keep my medical uh connections active of course, of course which is important as a senator too, right? Well, yeah, but that's really part of my identity. And people are like, do we call you senator? We call you doctor? And I say, well, I'm a senator right now, but I'm a doctor for life. I love that. Yeah. It's just who you are. Yeah. yeah. It's a big part of who So you I kind of look at everything through the lens of science and my background, which is a little frustrating down here because it doesn't have much to do with whether your bill passes or not. Sure. Because the science is not paramount in people's minds down here most of the time but I'm trying to add to that perspective down here I love that that's great now you mentioned that you have a YouTube channel or you record some YouTube so where can people go to watch more information about Senator Kay well if uh, I only do that during the legislative session I do a weekly YouTube video called Senate Minute and they can find that um, actually if you go to my Senate email, there's a sign-up for my newsletter on there, and I send a blast email out every week with a link to the video. Okay. I'm sure you can find it through the Senate press office also. Yeah, yeah. 
whether I have my own channel or not, I really don't know. But they can definitely find you on YouTube then. So yeah. I'll make sure to include that link because I think that'll be really fascinating for people. Is there any last minute advice that you want to give to women out there that want to be like you or aspire to be in the Senate or the medical field? Any last minute tips? I think the main thing is just to not be afraid and to go after your goals and assume that you're going to be able to get there. Mm-hmm. Doesn't always work out that way, but you got to start with that as your um, default position. Yeah. Because if you set the bar high, you've got a better chance of um, reaching the goals that you want to reach. Sure. Yep. And don't be afraid to fail. That's one thing that I always think, right? Absolutely. You're always going to fail, and then you just get back up and keep going towards your goals. That's correct. So I loved hearing about your story. Thank you so much for being on the show. This is awesome. Um, I'll make sure that we go ahead and put your YouTube on here as well when I send out um, the podcast. And thank you so much again. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening to My Opinion. Of course, you can find me on Instagram at Maya Roffler and, of course, on Facebook at My Opinion Podcast.